Hello again, everybody. I'm Carly Chardonnay Webb, and this is the Transporter Room, the intersection of sports, transness, sci-fi, gaming, all things nerd and geek, and a lot of other stuff. And we got some big things happening in sports right now. The Tour de France heading to a climax in the Pyrenees and Track and Fields World Championship, making its first ever appearance in the United States, appropriately, in Track City, USA, Eugene, Oregon. And these world championships have also been a farewell for a legend. I'm talking, of course, about Allison Felix. The great American sprinter had one last go-round this past weekend. She was part of Team USA's mixed 4x400-meter relay quartet. And they ended up third. And it gave one of the most decorated American track athletes ever one last moment for a master. The bronze marked her 19th world championship medal. Now, if you really want to understand the Allison Felix effect, understand that she's been at this in elite competition for 20 years. She made her debut as a teenager. She was 16. 19 world championship medals, 12 of them gold. 11 Olympic medals, 7 of those gold was a part of two world record relay teams and did some of her best work after 30. Case in point, 2015 World Championships 400-meter final in Beijing with a lot of young firepower nipping at her heels from the Bahamas and Jamaica. She came through in 49.26 seconds. Allison Felix, no doubt, talented athlete but also willing to work, had the commitment. These last three or so years showed that. Coming back from a difficult childbirth, getting yourself back in shape and showing that even in my mid-30s, I still got something left for you youngsters. And also, there's her sense of grace, honor, and class. I remember that class, 2016 Olympics. In Rio, 400-meter final, her and Shawnee Miller of the Bahamas in a rematch of that epic in Beijing at the World Championships the year before. It looked like, finally, an individual gold in the 400 meters was Allison's for the taking. But then, a few meters left in the race, Shawnee Miller just went spread eagle and dove across the line. Now, Miller won by an inch. And some people felt she shouldn't be allowed to win. You should they should change the rules. You have to you have to cross the finish line on your feet. Allison Felix wasn't one of those. She congratulated Miller, took the silver medal with a smile because she ran a heck of a race. It just fell a little short. Class, grace, humility, tied up with performance. Put all those together, you get a legend by which many athletes of the future are going to be judged. And right now, somewhere on some track or some grassy knoll, there's some little girl with a dream to run fast, and they're looking at Alice and Felix as a role model. As well they should.
But there's another reason I point out one of my favorite athletes. It's because of those who, who tried to sully her greatness to sell their own bigotry. You've probably heard this stat from certain people who are peddling transphobia in the landscape right now. Allison Felix gets outrun by however thousand high school boys or some nonsense. It's ridiculous that people would dare to belittle the record of a great champion like an Allison Felix to sell their transphobia. It's just another example of what I say often. Transphobes believe two things, both of them are false. Number one, transgender women aren't women, and cisgender women are lousy in sports. They're both false, but they peddle it anyway. Why? Because, unfortunately, some of you buy it. Now, you didn't think Team LGBTQ just stopped at the Olympics, right? Not by a long shot. There's representatives of Team LGBTQ at these World Championships in Eugene. Now, the results haven't been as great and grand as they were in Tokyo or Beijing, but they've been in the scrum. Michelle Lee Ahi of Trinidad, 100-meter semifinals, unfortunately, fell a little short, finished sixth in their heat. Ramsey Angela, the Netherlands, was in the 400-meter hurdles. They got to the semifinals. They were eliminated there. They still have the 4x400-meter relay, and the Netherlands medaled in that at the Olympics in Tokyo last summer. Seni Salmonen failing to qualify for Finland in the triple jump. There's at least one out athlete who still has yet to compete. Mark Tur from Spain, he will be in the 35 kilometer race walk. That's on the final day of competition, July 24th. But Team LGBTQ has one big weapon on this team. And on Monday, they got the team on the medal board in fine style. Venezuela's triple jumping ace, Yulimar Rojas, the world record holder in the event. Remember where she did that? Last summer in Tokyo. Remember this? Here we go. 15.41, she's already broken the Olympic record. Can she get those long legs stretched out to more than 15.50? Oh, saltos válido y el salto larguísimo! Rojas backed it up Monday night in Eugene with her second jump at 15.47 meters. That's all she needed. The rest of the field couldn't come close. And Rojas has another outdoor world championship. She's won just about everything there is to be won. What's the next world to conquer? I say it's the 16 meter barrier. Don't bet against her. In two fouls during the competition Monday night, she was danger close to 16 meters. How about Charles Barkley? Outsports had the story of Charles declaring once again he's pro-LGBTQ all the way, including saying if you're a homophobe or a transphobe, quote, F you. Now, Chuck. I like that you're making the statement, but Chuck, you know, it's a grandiose general statement. How about making a specific one? And I know where you can make it. Uh, there's a certain person in your home state that could use a talking to about anti-LGBTQ legislation. It's the governor of Alabama, Kay Ivey. 
I'd like to see that conversation. How about it, Chuck? There's a Twitter beef of over Brittany Griner between LeBron James and Kurt Schilling, apparently. Now, I'm not going to get too deep into that because Kurt Schilling's going to Kurt Schilling. We already know this. Just to catch, catch you up on things, according to a number of legal experts on the situation, Griner, by Russian law and president, shouldn't be threatened, even threatened, with the type of penalties she's being threatened with for having a couple vape cartridges in her luggage. There's been talk that she's going to be charged with trafficking. Now, the thing to understand is, again, this is Russian law and precedent. Now, Greiner pled guilty. Those same legal experts said that some of that plea is, in effect, legal strategy to get a lighter sentence or to open the door to some type of deal between the Russian and U.S. governments in the situation. Either way, Reiner's going to do some time. She's doing time right now. The question is, how much? One thing we're also seeing, at least in this country, is that it's just another example of the growing political, racial, and even straight queer divide that we're seeing over the issue. Now, one person who's definitely playing into that, of course, is the aforementioned Mr. Schilling, who's trying very hard to be become a right-wing pundit, considering that he's no longer playing baseball, and he failed in the video game industry spectacularly. You know, people like Kurt Schilling are going to make this a thing. Notice he's gone viral talking about how Brittany Griner should stay in jail and should Quote, don't break the effing law. You know, Kurt had a lot to say about law and order here, but notice that he's very quiet when it comes to law and order on things such as, I don't know, January 6th. Things that make you go, hmm. One unfortunate thing I'm seeing and needs to be called out is... In a lot of social media, be it the comments, be it Twitter, be it wherever, I notice a lot more people that are referring to the Center for the Phoenix Mercury, who wears number 42, as he and him. Let's get something straight to those who feel that they're being edgy. Your transphobia is really not welcome here. It's never welcomed anywhere. Especially when you're referring to Brittany Griner, who is a cisgender woman. All you're doing is reconfirming what many people know about transphobes, that you believe trans women aren't women, and cisgender women stink at sports. Both of those are untrue, but you keep selling them. Partly because, unfortunately, so many people buy it. And speaking of hysteria that people are buying, Leah Thomas in the news again because certain people make it a point to kick her around and make her the designated pinata. First off, Leah Thomas was nominated by the University of Pennsylvania to be considered for the NCAA's Women of the Year Award for 2022. Notice, nominated by the school. The NCAA hasn't awarded this yet. In fact, they don't award it until, guess when, January. 
and there are 576 other nominees from schools across Division One, Division Two, and Division Three. And let's get real about this. Most of you crabbing about it didn't even know this existed. You just want to exercise your transphobia some more. There is a set criterion to how you win this award. It's based on the mix of performance on the field, performance in the classroom, and citizenship in your school community and in your general community. This award is very interesting because athletes from all divisions have won it. And admittedly, when I looked at who the individual winners were from the time the award began in 1991 to last year's award, there's maybe five names that I could directly recognize and give you something on without reading notes first. One of those, the 1995 winner, Rebecca Lobo. Yes, that Rebecca Lobo from UConn won everything that year, Rebecca Lobo, including putting UConn women's basketball on the map for all time with the, Nash with the first of many national championships for the Huskies. I know the name of the 1996 winner, Billy Winsett Fletcher. Volleyball player at the University of Nebraska was part of the national championship team for the Huskers in 95. In 2008, the winner was Nikki Anasicki. And I was a fan of Nikki Anasicki when she played ball at Tennessee and later when she played in the WNBA. And I recognize the name of the 2018 winner because she competed in the triple jump finals at the World Championships on Monday night. Katura Orji one of those four winners of this award from the University of Georgia. And the fifth name, interesting, very interesting story here. Laura Parita, she went to Division III Stevens Institute of Technology in New Jersey. She won this award in 2011. By the way, one of the people she beat out for it was Maya Moore. Moore reached the final 30 for the award that year. Now, all Burrito did, besides have a ridiculously high GPA as an engineering major, she won national championships in two sports. She won the 50-yard freestyle at the Division III Swimming Championships and then took off the swimsuit, put on a track uniform, went out and did 400-meter hurdles faster than anyone else in Division III. But she's more known these days for having one of the most informative, insightful, and entertaining TikTok channels in the TikTok sphere, in addition to being a personal trainer. And oh, by the way, she had this to say about the issue we're talking about last year. What do I think about transgender women competing in female sports? I think a lot of people use this question as an excuse for their bigotry. A lot of people that are concerned about transgender women in sports have not given a flying fuck about me as a female athlete. You don't care about the inequality in opportunities, in pay, in airtime. You don't care about the blatant misogyny that still exists within sports today. You don't care about the lack of protection against male predators within our sports. Basically, people that have not cared one bit about my well-being as a female athlete and are probably the same people that have bullied me are now suddenly concerned about my competitive opportunities as a female athlete because of transgender women. Stop asking this question because you guys don't actually care about us. We're going to have a link to the TikTok channel in the liner notes as well. Now, looking at some of the names of some of the athletes who are up for this year's award, like I said, 577 nominees across universities and colleges across Division I, II, and Three. Two names 
jumped out at me. One of those was Brooke Ford from Stanford, multi-time national champion in swimming, multi-time All-American, a U.S. Olympian as well in Tokyo last year, and also one of the first to publicly stand up and say, I support Leah Thomas's right to compete, and I look forward to competing against her. And Ford did in that epic 500-yard freestyle final at Division I Nationals back in March. A well-ran race that Leah Thomas was fortunate to win. Another name that leapt out at me was Riley Gaines, swimmer from the University of Kentucky, and the person who tied Thomas for fifth in the 200-yard freestyle final at NCAAs back in March, and who afterwards was upset because Leah got the fifth place trophy and Gaines had to wait for it in the mail because the NCAA only had one fifth place trophy for the event. Now Gaines has parlayed this story into becoming a mouthpiece for the Independent Council of Women's Sports during their recent Transphobapalooza convention in Las Vegas. And, of course, she's been the darling of the outkicks, Breitbarts, and Fox Newses of the world. Now, a note to Sid Ziegler, our co-founder here at OutSports, who wrote an article on this on Monday. Um, they're not strange bedfellows. They're birds of a feather flocking together. Granted, outkick, Breitbart, all their ilk are very conservative and Someone say, like a Martina Navratilova, is liberal. The point is, it doesn't really matter. They're birds of a feather flocking together. Outkick are transphobes. Fox News are transphobes. Martina Navratilova is a transphobe. And Nancy Hogshead Maycar is one as well. When you will stand on a stage with a group that's openly anti-LGBTQ, like the Alliance Defending Freedom, and Show that you are simpatico with them, with them and seek an alliance and a partnership with them. You know the message that you're sending. And also a note to the University of Pennsylvania. This nomination is a nice gesture. I hope that Ms. Thomas signed off on it. But Yourselves and the Ivy League, your voices were really needed last December when all the controversy was brewing up. Your voices was needed to say, this is our athlete, she's competing by the rules, we stand behind her, we repudiate you. And a memo to the NCAA. It would be great to see you do the same right now, and especially should Leah be in your final 30, because if she is in serious consideration for this award, you know that certain people are going to gin up the hysteria. I'd like to see the NCAA as an organization immediately stop this hysteria cold, repudiated, and repudiated sternly. And that's the Red Alert Quacks, and that means got to take a break, give love to the sponsors, but when we come back, you know, gridiron football for the fellas, just about to start, but for the women, they just had their championship in women's pro football. 
and a highly touted rookie on a flagship franchise who's also trans will join us to talk about the rookie season and what it means to be a trans athlete in this sport in this time. I'm Carly Chardonnay-Webb. This is the Transporter Room. Stay with us. And welcome back to the Transporter Room. I'm your host, Carly Chardonnay-Webb, and... It's almost that time of year. I know it's a little bit early to think about it, but football is year-round in this country. And NFL training camps are starting. The colleges are going to be st- are going to be getting moving. But a different season has just ended. The season for the Women's Football Alliance, the oldest and largest women's tackle football league in this country, recently had their championship game. Championship won by the Boston Renegades. Congratulations. But they had a tough go in the semifinals. And the team that gave them that go is one of the flagship franchises of the league. They happen to li- they happen to be based in a town that I'm a little bit familiar with because my favorite NFL team plays in that city. And they even share colors with them, which makes them even more cool. If you look at the records of offensive linemen from pro football teams that are based in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, you find that they seem to crank out a lot of people that end up playing in some all-star games. 23 Steelers on the offensive line have played in the NFL's Pro Bowl in the history of the NFL. Add to that two Pittsburgh Maulers from the USFL, and also add to that, at least for this year, three members of the Pittsburgh Passion from the Women's Football Alliance who were Offensive lineman playing in perhaps the most important position in offensive football because you can't do anything if you can't block. We're playing in the league's all-star game, which was played in the shadow of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, Canton, Ohio, Tom Benson Hall of Fame Stadium. Very beautiful stadium, like what they did with the place. One of those three is Jacqueline Cook. Now, Jacqueline grew up in North Canton, right in the shadow of, of right in the shadow of the Hall of Fame, and in a state where football is not like oxygen, it's a bit more important. But Jacqueline also, in this rookie year, a rookie year that was delayed thanks COVID, really showed out on the offensive and decent defensive side of the ball. Iron Woman football, it still lives in the WFA. Jacqueline's an athlete like me, loves football like me. She's trans like me. And she's joining us to talk about what it's been like in a rookie season, women's pro ball, the growth of the game, and in a sense, the message it sent just by seeing number 65 out there doing the job for the passion from the Steel City. But enough about me talking about it. Let's bring her on. From Canton, Ohio, welcome to the Transporter Room. Jacqueline Cook, we're beaming you up. Welcome to the Transporter Room. Energize. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much. First and foremost, what is your? what do you think is your strength on that offensive line? Where do you really show out? I'm tall, 
I'm big and I'm strong. Three years in the offseason did my body well, at least in some ways. I stand about six foot two. I was on that bench press, did tons of squats, right? I was getting my body ready to be a dominant force on that line. In the All-Star game, made a defensive play, though. There's a running back for the American comp for the American division team coming through there, somebody who's about my size, perhaps, and you steamrolled them. Absolutely. That makes, <laughs> that makes me wonder, if, if I'm carrying the bomb against you, do I make that business decision? You make the decision to run away from me, like a lot of teams did. But that's okay. It's a team sport. Football, in my opinion, is the best team sport of all time. I feel like there's a spot for so many different body types, so many different levels of athleticism and different capacities. It's truly a team sport. You don't have everyone looking the same, training the same, with the same you know pluses and minuses or whatever, right? There's rooms for big people. There's rooms for small people. There's room for fast people, room for people with strong legs, like kickers and stuff like that, right? There's rooms for so many people on the field. So. If you make that business decision to run away from me, I got a teammate over there ready to get you too. This was originally supposed to happen in 2020. COVID it was. COVID got in the way of that. But what was it like just to step in and say, hey, I want to play? What was that? What was that like? How did that go down? Was there an issue? Because, you know, it seems like everybody's looking for the, some people are looking for the issue. What went down? How did it begin? for you to make this ride there's definitely some you know issues but a lot of anxiety a lot of nervousness going into the first time in a practice field so 2020 was supposed to be my rookie season and that was supposed to be at cleveland not pittsburgh so i live about an hour from cleveland about two hours from pittsburgh and i had kind of suffered a bit of a uh, sports setback maybe a year before that where I was kicked off of a women's volleyball team for being transgender. It was a shame because I had played for that team for a number of years. It was a local team at a church and they called me and said, you know, this is women's league. And like, you know, I'm a woman, right? And it didn't, <laughs> it didn't go anywhere positive from there. So definitely a little bit of a downward spiral. Um, I went to pride that year, probably like Akron pride or Cleveland pride. I can't remember which one. And I came across a Cleveland fusion table where they were doing some recruitment and informing the community that women's football existed. I didn't know it existed. So I signed up. I was super nervous, though. I was nervous about, hey, I've not played football for nearly 20 years. And B, I happen to have this giant target on my back, it feels like, in every opportunity in life, especially what just happened at the volleyball team. Um, So am I even going to find acceptance? Do I have a spot in this field? Whatever. I went to an information session talked to some coaches, was very upfront about everything, and I was encouraged to come out. I did some off-season conditioning with them. I ran way too much for my liking, but I still did it. (laughs) And I showed up. We practiced for months. I think the COVID season was canceled just a week before our first scrimmage. But that first practice, driving up there, it's like, oh my God, am I even going to be able to hang with these people? What if I'm too out of shape? What if I'm too old? What if I'm too fat? I was a nervous wreck, but I got there. And honestly, I felt like I did well. Like it felt like riding a bike, getting back down the field, 
getting back in my stance, going back through my techniques and my warmups, it all came back. And it was such a positive way. Women's football is so exciting, free of this like toxic masculinity type behavior that's reinforced all like when I played football in high school on a boys team. Um, I'm not trying to speak ill about anyone with that, but it's a different world. And being in this like really close knit family structure of women's football, it's life changing. It's so fulfilling. And fast forwarding two years, making my way to Pittsburgh after one practice and going out with the team one night after practice, just kind of getting to know people, getting some dinner before I drove back. They made it very clear I had a place in the team, that I was welcome, that I was wanted, that I was a valuable person on that team. That family structure can't really be replicated. It was amazing. Actually, that was my next question. When, when, did, when did that moment that says, you're one of, Jacqueline, you're one of us? It's been a bit of a rough season, right? Day one, I was certainly encouraged and welcome. Um, but throughout this season, there have been different spotlights that you could say, right? Like the whole Leah Thomas thing with the NCAA swimming, as well as, you know, other athletes that have been wrongfully targeted based on them being trans athletes, it certainly made me feel concerned about everything that was going on in this season. Um, Certainly dealing with things on like social media. If someone made a post or something, it certainly put myself in my head wondering, do people feel like this about me too? And it feels like, okay, if I don't go as hard as I can, if I try to be invisible, I could like skate by unnoticed. I feel like as trans people, if we just try to be average in all walks of life, we're going to be okay. We're not going to get noticed. We're not going to get the blowback. But as soon as we're kind of like trying to step out and be exceptional, that suddenly everyone's interested in women's sports. Where were you before? Where are you when talking about equal funding for women's and men's sports? Where are you about showtime and promotion? No, but you're there for me being on women's teams or someone else being on women's teams like me. And I'm just wondering, was any of those people among that over 147,000 people who watched, for example, the championship game? The, the Minnesota Vixen and the Boston Renegade championship game last weekend where I mean, I'm just wondering where those people were because you know that's that's the thing that gets me is like those people are never here, absolutely. Unless there's some headline getting their attention, they're not there, they're only there for the scene. Now, now we're gonna get to all of that, we're gonna get to trust me, we're gonna get to the controversy a little bit later, but right now, I want to talk about you and the type of season you have. Best block you through this year. It's hard to rule it down to just one, but I know in the All-American game, there's a good example of one. It's around the 28-minute mark on the YouTube stream. So on the O-line here, get my first block and pancake the girl. But I don't want to stop there, right? That backfield second-level block is super, super important. Got them both, right? Get that person on the line, go back and take out that linebacker too. Anytime I can go one against two and take them both out, 
that's a great play in my book. That's above expectations on the line. Am I hearing that right? Did you roll some linebackers up? I've rolled plenty of linebackers up. I think my first block of the first game that I played in rolled a linebacker out. How did that feel? I mean, empowering. How did that feel? It's like so, so empowering that I can hang with these other pro athletes that like these years of work that I put into this have played off for that one six second play. That's like, I have a spot on this field, but I'm hanging with these amazing athletes. That was my favorite play. What play, when they call it the huddle, your eyes go big like, oh, all right. All right, all right. Favorite play, run it up the middle. Run up the middle, right off my ass. I don't know if I can say this on the podcast or not. You can, you can okay. say, uh, come on, we're adults here. Right. I'm, I'm 51 uh, years old. I've heard it all, all right? <laughs> if you call this outside run play, if you call this like fancy thing, this reverse play, like no, run it right at the gut. Run it right behind me. Let me just like, Get that energy, my stance, like I'm a tank ready to fire. As soon as that quarterback calls the count, I'm unleashing as much as I can and just trying to put a hole all the way to the end zone. No, it's the most fun for me altogether. Run it right up the middle. So you're like, so in a sense, it's follow Interstate 65. Absolutely. Off ramp is the end zone. For sure. For me, my touchdown is, is my person in the end zone. If I've done that, I feel pretty good on this play. This season, did you did you completely deplete someone at any point in this season? Did you like the pancake blocks? Pan, where's the pancake? Pancakes block? and waffles covered in syrup all season long. I would imagine if they kept stats on it, probably at least thirty in the season. Like it was a really good season for this. It was exciting. Played a duel with the Boston Renegades, fought them all the way, but fell short. We did. What was it like playing, first off, playing that game? Because the Renegades, in many ways, have become a marquee team. They were undefeated this season, had a documentary done on them. What was it like to play them as hard as you did, but ultimately, at the same time, what was it like for the season to end a game short, perhaps, of where you wanted it? It was probably my favorite game that I played all season. I had some really, really good games. But I have a lot of respect for the Boston team and the Boston players. I have friends on that team. And that's a a wonderful thing about women's sports in general that I've seen, that we can be friends when the game's over. We can sit and talk and, you know, on the field when the game's over. And, like, that we're enemies on the field, but when the game's over, we can get back to being friends again. Um, But I love going against a team of such caliber. I don't want to just, like, cakewalk into a championship. I want to play the best. I want to beat the best and I want to be the best, right? I want to put in the work and get that payoff. I'm glad we played Boston. They came out on top. They're a great organization. Uh, I can't say anything bad about any of the players on the team. Love playing them. Look forward to going back there. So we're going to be seeing you back out there in 20. It's already confirmed. 2023, you're going to be there. Absolutely. Now, one thing we're going to have in the liner notes we're going to have, I'm gonna, since every passion game was on YouTube, we're going to link them all. So okay. that you can, so that, so that Transporter Room Nation, you can see what women's football is all about. And That's also you can, get, you can get some good look at, get a good look at number 65. When Transporter Room Nation goes to see some of this, see some of this good ball, who are some players that they need to keep their eye on? 
Who are some teammates of yours they need to keep the eyes on? We're talking teammates of mine. Yes. I would say number 77, Nader. She was also on the National All-American game. Um, she's wonderful. She has gotten so many tackles playing on defense. You could, uh, you have to drag her off the field to get her off the field. She'll go both ways as well the entire game, and she's always hungry for more. She's certainly not, like, the biggest person on the team or anything like that, but she is out there as scrappy as can be, and she's an absolute delight as a person. Oh, and also, above your right shoulder. you veteran, by the way. Absolutely. Okay, I have a feeling 98 is the next person you're talking 98's about. 98 is the other person calling out, so that's Zubo. Uh, so she was one of the first people to come up to me at practice in my first practice and try to like welcome me to the team if I needed any sort of help, you know, questions about like equipment or structure or anything like that, just to be a resource as a rookie on the team, which was super, super helpful and made me feel welcome. Um, also, loved playing next to her. Also plays both ways, offense and defense. She's been out there for quite some time, but yeah, Zubo's been a wonderful person to become acquainted with through the Pittsburgh passion. That's one thing. Iron woman football. How did you prepare for that? I didn't. I, my, this off season is going to be even more intense than the last one. I did not expect to go both ways as much as I had. I think after our first game against Detroit, I came out of that game saying I have played more minutes on defense in this game then I practiced on defense the entire season at that point, right? I had kind of gone into it expecting to play offense. Maybe rarely some defense here and there, but I just kind of got thrown in. And it was exciting, and I love it, right? I want every minute of playing time that I can get. I don't want to try to bump someone who, like, should be out there instead of me. I told Again, as I said before, I've told the defense if I'm out there, something's gone wrong. Keep me off the field, right? Smash them on defense. Let me just play offense, please. But I love any any opportunity I get being on the field. When did you realize, you know what, I belong here. This is I belong being on this field again. That Detroit game, walking out there and saying, I've not played a football game in 20 years. And getting out there and taking that first snap, scoring on that first drive breaking that huddle and running to the line and making these blocks, getting these pancakes from, from play one. Okay. I fit in, but fitting in is more than just like being an athlete and making some plays and getting your assignments. It's been hard, hard being a trans person in 2022 playing sports and one big standout moment for me of the last regular season, well, it was a playoff game, the Boston game. I cried once in that game. And it was when the game was already over. Going through and shaking hands with one of my friends on the Boston team, Aaron Truex, number 88, also six foot two, playing on the offensive line. She hugged me and said, you belong on this field. I belong on any of these football fields that I've been playing on. That just cut deep. This is from this other team, right? My opponent. 
but laying it all out there that I belong on that field. It was a moment. It was a good moment. See, that's exactly the reason why I want to get out there. Did you ever have that moment? It's like, why am I doing this? It's been 20 years since I was playing high school. Yeah, exactly. What the fuck am I doing? (laughs) Right, right. What the fuck am I doing? So because Pittsburgh happens to be, you know, northeastern area, we got lots of snowfall and things like that. All of our practices really began this like inside facility, like an inside turf facility you know, that we rent to go practice on. So once the weather started getting nicer, probably like end of March, beginning of April, we started doing some practices outdoors on our own, our home field, which is at a high school, beautiful field. When I walked out for practice that day and I walked on this high school turf, transported 20 years back in time, to being on this high school field, wearing some different colors, playing for a different team. But at that point, it's like, what am I doing? This has been 20 years. My body is not the same as it's been 20 years ago. It's gone through a lot of changes. I'm a lot older, but I'm not the oldest in the team, right? Number 98 that I called out earlier, she's been playing for so, so long, and she's much older than He's I am. He's a 16 16- 16-year veteran, according to the according to the media guide. Yep, and she's been playing both ways this whole team, this whole game, too. Like, if she can do that, I better get my butt out there and do it, too. Because if she can do that all, all left and right, up and down for 16 years, going both ways, I have no excuses. It's a big motivator. As you were getting ready for the season, through the season, you know about the the debate, the issue. I do. The hysteria, the monster movie. You probably heard it all. Sadly, yes. I mean, gut reaction, for example, now there's new, we talked about it at the beginning, at the top of the show, the Leah Thomas hysteria again, the sequel. Over an award no one cares about, over an award nobody cares, most people didn't even think about. No. And we're pretending like Leah Thomas has made some sort of record that can never be beaten, right? But absolutely not true. Leah Thomas did a great job as an athlete and won. It was wonderful, and we should be celebrating that. We should be celebrating diversity when people are succeeding. But if you look at, like, the last 10-year records of that event, and I'm not a women's swimming expert or a swimming expert in general, she's not beaten those 10 records. Right, I think there have been a number of records faster than her time. She just won it this year. And that was a tremendous performance. And as I said, we should congratulate her for it and celebrate when people from different diverse backgrounds can succeed. But for you personally, what was it like having to deal with this? And perhaps getting questions about it. And perhaps being on your social media and hearing all sorts of nonsense. About I had to like going step down. away for a minute. There are some places in my social media that I go that are pretty inclusive. Like there's some trans athlete sports groups that I belong in. And I've had some conversations with people there too. But there's a whole lot of like, if you step out of line, you're gone. I'm not having conversations with you. I'm not trying to educate you. Unfriended, remove, block, done. Because I need to preserve my own mental health for 
everything that I'm going through out there. I feel like if I step out of line in any way, if I say something wrong, if my voice is not on point for that day, let's say like in a football helmet with a face mask in, trying to talk above crowds, right? I do not have the same level of voice control that I might on a regular day-to-day conversation. I feel like I'm constantly looking at myself through a magnifying lens, trying to find any fault that I could be doing wrong. And beyond that, if I push myself as much as I can with as much as I've been training for for years, and if I do well, if I succeed, everything else could be right. And I still feel like I could have a target on my back. So kind of damned if I do, damned if I don't, unless I like twiddle my thumbs and try to be average. I never wanted to go out and hurt anybody, right? I never want to beat up on women or whatever someone wants to say that trans people are trying to do playing women's sports. I just wanted to play football in this amazing women's league. I felt like I had some skills, some talents, right? I did play when I was younger and that I could help in some way with this team to succeed some, right? That's what tryouts are about. That's the beauty of sports. Sports does not expect everyone to be at the same level. Different people have different attributes and different capabilities. And we can all come together and work as a team. At what point did you first realize, because before you got on this team, you had to join your own team, basically Team Jacqueline. How did you get there to get here? There's a lot of doubts for Team Jacqueline. That's for certain. We live in a world that constantly tries to punch down on trans women, saying that we are less than ideal, less than desirable. It's taken a lot of work, a lot of therapy, a lot of introspection, a lot of trying to find other positive influence role models that I can look up to and move forward in life. Um, Right. I've known for a long time what my gender is. I might have not had the language to talk about it, but I've known that I've been a girl my whole life. That wasn't a big deal. Getting the language and learning about how to talk about it with people, that was a bit of a challenge, but we got there. Right, we get to the point of talking to doctors, going down the medical route and things like that too. That was also pretty essential as well. But it's been a process, but I'm so much happier the life, my life is in color when it was in black and white before. It's worth living. When did you finally get to the point there's no going back? And how did football play into this, if it did play into it? Football did not play into this. I thought football was a closed door, done and done. Right, I'd never heard of women's football or anything like that. I wish I had, but I hadn't. It was the nature of, you know, the story. But, um. Definitely like mid to late 20s was like the no going back part. You know, that's where I was starting like coming out to people publicly, working with therapists. I went through a divorce, right? Lost a lot of friends along the way. Made a lot of wonderful friends along the way too, Um, right? And I, I definitely spent some years working through some things before I started like the medical route and stuff too. But once I started that, there's been no looking back either. And from there, it's like, okay, I've, hey, I've gotten this transition thing moving. Let's play ball. Yeah. And honestly, the football was a 
almost like rebound relationship after the volleyball controversy when I got kicked off of a different team. Um, and it was okay. Like I had never played volleyball growing up in high school. I wanted to, I loved it. I watched people play. I watched volleyball. I watched softball. Like I loved women's sports all the time. I even grew up with a dad who was a fast pitch girls softball coach down in Texas. I've been around women's sports my whole life. Loved them. Never played volleyball growing up, but really got into it as an adult. Um, I've played all sorts of different sports though. They've been so instrumental in my life, like teaching different lessons, giving a lot of self-confidence and, and stuff like that, motivation in life. Um, but after that volleyball setback, it was just like a pretty low spot. Finding out that women's football existed and that I could actually play was wonderful. I tried playing women's rugby for a little bit. That was exciting. Kind of brought back some like footballish type feelings, but sadly I couldn't compete. I could only practice. I couldn't actually play in games. Their policies wouldn't allow trans people to play in games. So I'd drive an hour each way to practice and then just go watch the games. That was a real bitter pill to swallow. When I found out that women's football existed and that in the bylaws that there was a spot for me to play, I saw to earn my spot to start. I saw to earn my spot to be on the field. But biologically, I could play. That, that opportunity was there. That door was cracked open. And I decided I'm going to do this. It's expensive. It's expensive financially, time-wise, tons and tons of work, but that door is cracked open. And I was determined to bust through that door. Switching gears away from football, because I noticed that I mean, when you're not around football, you're around a lot of technology and you're around a lot of 20-sided dice. Absolutely. <laughs> so I take it. Now, actually, I was talking with one of my roommates about this. Why do you think everybody – I played D&D like 30, 40 years ago when I was really young. I'm coming back to it. A lot of people are coming back to it. Why is everybody coming, coming back home to some Dungeon Master action? I think we're starting to get some more representation in media. Honestly, what got me into it was the Adventure Zone podcast. That was hilarious. It was so, so funny. And it's like, oh, I want to be a part of this. Um, but Critical Role has a podcast that I've never listened to that people are, are really into as well. It's actually been converted to like an Amazon Prime series. I was watching it until like two or three in the morning over the weekend. It was great. <laughs> um, people are talking about it some different shows, right? I think it's in Stranger Things. I know like the magicians, I think, referenced it once too. But we're getting some more like positive showcase in media. So that's fun, right? And it's a great, I, I think it's really common in like, queer spaces, queer community, trans community, right? It's a great way to start, like, trying to do some role play and trying some different, like, character archetypes that, like, can reflect parts of your own being. It's exciting. Now, what's your current campaign? What's your groove into? And what character are you? All right, all right. So, current campaign, my girlfriend, Abby, has written from scratch. She's a creative nonfiction writer wonderful wonderful job with writing and this is her like creative writing outlet she's written this campaign based on like young earth mythology and all this like rumor mill stuff that you know crazy people try to talk about like flat earth conspiracy theories and stuff like this which is wonderful so she she's written this world from the ground up and 
we're all playing in it. I'm playing a character named Brilana. She's a tall half orc, 16 year old, you know, she knows everything, of course, being 16. And she's a barbarian, but not just a barbarian. She also like works around some technology stuff, therefore is multi-classing into an, um, an artificer. It's been kind of fun to play with this like dynamic of this brute strength type solving problems with punching and this like technology person. But fun trivia, she's based off of a Star Trek character. Okay, which one? Bolana Torres from Voyager. All right. That, that whole inner struggle that Bolana goes through about being like a, a half um, Klingon, like dealing with some of the stuff she grows up with, feeling racist in some, like feeling like racism applied to her in some ways with like where her face looks and her inner struggles with like human side and Klingon side and all this stuff. I want to try to capture some of that. And encapsulate some of this like trans stuff that I've gone through in my life. Fun character to play. None oh sounds like a good campaign to be a part of. Now since you brought up Trek, if you get because you know we've been between myself and our and our quote co-founder of the show, Don Ennis, we've been pushing because Trek has gotten a lot of representation, which is great, especially the new series. Absolutely. Especially some of the new series coming out. But there's but there's one role we're looking for. We want to get a trans woman on. We want to get another trans woman on Trek in Starfleet. We want to get we want to get a recurring character recurring character on Starfleet. Now, if let's say you got tapped on the shoulder and said, okay, got a spot, got a spot for you, Jacqueline Cook. It's in Starfleet. All right. All right. You, tell me about your character and what would you want to do? It's probably going to have to be engineering, right? I love the idea of being down there. I'm not like a gearhead or anything. I don't work on cars or anything like that. But I was initially an engineering student in university. And some of the engineers in Star Trek, like Bolana Taurus, have been rather interesting characters for me. I really, really like them. I've also liked some of the like, the more the people that are solving problems with science. I love science in general. I've been a science nut my whole life. Big fan of that. So yeah, put me in engineering. I'm sure I could hold my own in things like security or whatever, but engineering seems a lot of fun. I wonder, do you see a little bit of Balana in you when you're on the ball field? Absolutely. And also other characters like Samus Aaron from the Metroid series. Um, I could sit and name some others too, but I know we're getting close on time. <laughs> the thing, no, you can get as geeky as you want to be right around here. Because one I mean, thing, for, one Star thing, Trek and Star Wars are everywhere in my life. Um, I'm pretty much up to speed on all the Star Trek episodes that are out with all the new stuff coming out here, except for the new season season of Picard. I'm still enjoying that. But I'm not quite done with it yet. A couple episodes away, Star Trek. It's been something that I, I really fell in love with, with my dad growing up, right? The Next Generation was my jam all through high school. Um, really enjoyed Voyager, got an Enterprise. I've been enjoying the new content, the new movies, the old movies, the original series. It's been fun. Star Wars is also amazing for me, too. 
I have my lightsaber tattoo right here. <laughs> and I, I have Ahsoka up here on my arm as well. I have read so many different books, all the movies, all the animated content. It's an exciting time to be a Star Wars fan. I started working on a Mandalorian cosplay a couple years ago before the show came out. Now there's so much momentum with that show. You might be finding me in some Mandalorian cosplay as well, which feels very like related to this football stuff too. Suiting up in my football helmet and my shoulder pads feels like I'm putting on my Mandalorian suit too sometimes. Yeah. When I was a little kid playing football, I always imagined that it was an X it was the X-Wing combat suit for me. That's great. That's what the football that's what football now in fact with that in mind we're coming into the stretch run here. First, this is a question we ask just about everybody because we get a lot of Star Wars fans around here. I'm a Star Wars fan too. All so right. The, so the official Transporter Room Star Wars question is, if I led you in to a showroom with, any, with every Star Wars vehicle from all nine films, and I hand you a suitcase full of keys and say, you get to pick one, you get to take it for a test drive. What are you picking? The ATAT, the ATAT. <laughs> like I don't care. I just my heart skips a beat when I hear the ATAT, like blasters firing or the steps that happen in the Empire Strikes Back. Like I know the idea of like flying some spaceship at some faster than light travel speed really should be my answer as a student of science because that sounds freaking amazing to go faster than light and travel and see different worlds. But the ATAT just makes my heart go pitter patter. No, it's great. <laughs> no, that's offensive lineman right there. Because that's what that is. That's just brute force. It's brute force. Forward. Moving forward. Um, that, actually, you're about the, we've asked that question. You're the third person said that. All right. You're the third. We have a, that's a very, very popular vehicle. I'm surprised. No one's picked mine yet. I'm the only person. I'm, I'm an X-Wing jockey. Now and always. They seem so cool. Don't get me wrong. Yes. Now and, and they're a lot of fun to fly in the video games too. Oh, a lot of fun. Oh, I'm just wondering which game. Which game? The new, Battle, the new Battlefront 2 was where I'm like, okay, these X-Wing and TIE Fighter mechanics flying them are a lot of fun. I did pick up on discount recently that new um the new game is all about. Yeah. The X-Wings and the TIE Fighters, like it's all about uh, space combat. I've not opened that one yet. I'm no, looking forward to it. No, dig out the old school X-Wing simulator. You'd love it. I hear it's great. Dig that one out. No, dig that one out. It was like it was like it first came out mid-90s. It carries came out in the mid-90s, and then they did an update on it in the early 2000s. Don't dig that out because I don't think you'd like that. Now, exit question. Yes. Two-parter first. What do you think people miss about women's football? What do you think people don't quite understand about, especially at the WFA level? Because you watch those games, it's like, no, there's some good football being played. What do you think the average person may not know is missing? I think the average person doesn't realize how physical it is and how athletic it is. I think people are saying, like, you play women's football? Like flag, right? That's what you're talking about, right? No, this is legit for real. Like, unfortunately, injuries happen, but like 
head to head, real collisions, real throws, real catches, real running back plays going the length of the field. This is real football, as real as it gets. And also on the personal front, for you, what's your answers to those who say, you know, Jacqueline, you have an unfair advantage. Why are you out there? You shouldn't be out there. Or how do you answer those who say, ooh, or more like, I respect you, but I don't know about this whole sports thing. Uh, it just seems, it doesn't seem quite right. How do you answer to that? Throughout history, in my own history of exposure to sports, sports celebrates diversity, especially those that can excel at a certain part of a game. I'm not saying that I'm the best. I'm not saying that I can even excel at a certain part of the game. But when we look at the Michael Jordans and the Michael Phelps and Leah Thomas, not good saying again, she didn't hit these milestones that had never been beat before. But when we look at these athletes that have made some pretty exceptional plays in pretty exceptional times, we celebrate that. Or we should continue to celebrate that. Right? Sports is not about putting everyone in the same exact car that has the same exact specs, right? This is not NASCAR or whatever. I don't watch racing. Sports celebrates diversity. And we need to continue in that same vein. I know that it's a hot topic. And I am not a medical expert to comment on what is right and what is wrong, what should be allowed and what should be disallowed. But at this point, in following all the medical literature going above and beyond, what the requirements are to be eligible to play football, it's worth it. It's worth it to deal with the naysayers, with the bigots, because it's that much fun to play on this close-knit family group of people to play football with them. I'm looking forward to seeing you, especially next season. I'm going to tell you right now, we're going to want you back. I'm looking forward to seeing you play some no, next season too. No, we're gonna no, no, we're gonna want you back, especially right. during this football. If you're watching some football, we're gonna want you back during the season because one thing that we're doing this fall here at the tra- here at the transporter room is we're getting we're going to we're gonna get together trans folks who watch some football and we're gonna be talking some more football around here. We're gonna be talking about it, major sporting events. We're gonna be talking about it. So just so you know. If you're trans especially, and if, say, you're a sports journalist or you're just somebody who who likes arguing in the bar, I want you. All right. Well, let's I want football in here, too. I want, oh, definitely. We're def- oh, definitely. But, Jacqueline, thank you for being on the transporter room this week. I know, you, hey, I know you've got, you got to roll some 20-sided dice right now, and you got a season to get ready for, so we're going to beam you back down to Canton, Ohio. Again, thanks to... Jacqueline Cook from the Pittsburgh Passion for being on the Transporter Room this week. And also, thanks to all of you for being part of Transporter Room Nation. And remember, if there's something you want to see or someone you want to see on this podcast or something you want to say about what I'm doing here, leave a message on our Twitter page, leave a message on our Facebook page, and leave a message at our Instagram site, transporter room 10 forward remember everything i do here at the transporter room i do for all of you 
the people who support us. That's the Transporter Room for this week. I'm Carly Chardonnay Webb. Live long and prosper and steady as she goes. I'll catch you all next week. <laughs>